A very good morning to you. I bring you warm greetings from Trinity Theological College. And on behalf of the college, I want to express our deep appreciation for the pastors, leaders, uh, members of Amokyo Methodist Church for your continued prayer and support uh, for the college. Your partnership enables Trinity to engage in theological education, both locally and regionally. Uh, currently, some 200 students are enrolled in our various programs, and we are very happy that uh, Joshua and Andrew from your church are with us. Uh, thank you for sending them our way, and we look forward to welcoming more. This morning, uh, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to share God's Word with you. I learned as I was preparing for today's sermon that your church theme for this year is God Calls. That is such an important theme for God's people to consider. So often, Christians tend to associate God's call with something we do to serve Him. But God calls us in the first place to belong to Him through faith in Christ. And with that, to live out our new identity as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. God calls us then not only to belong to Him, but to live for Him as chosen, priestly, and holy people. Today, I want to focus on one aspect of living for God, which is to live in light of God's rule. What does it mean to say God rules in our world, a world that is obviously governed by human rulers, a world that more often than not seems godless? How can followers of Christ live under God's rule? And what difference does God's rule make to our day-to-day living? Well, the answers to these questions are found in different places in the Bible. Daniel chapter 1, our scripture for today, speaks to them in important ways. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open um, your Bible with me to Daniel chapter 1. The first and last verse of Daniel 1 situate the book in the exilic period when the people of God were carried away from the promised land into exile following the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians. Verse 1 mentions the third year of Jehoiakim. And verse 21, the first year of King Cyrus which would place Daniel's career largely in the first half of the 6th century BC. Daniel and his three friends were among the first deportees to be carried into exile. Daniel did not only go into exile, but lived through the entire exile until it ended in the first year of Cyrus. Brothers and sisters, We, too, live out our Christian faith in exile, so to speak. As pilgrims bound for our heavenly home, we live as aliens and strangers in a foreign land that is, in the final analysis, hostile to our faith. How are we to live in light of God's rule in this foreign land? 
Daniel 1 teaches us three principles. Live by faith. Live faithfully. Live wisely. First, we learn in verses 1 to 7 that to live in light of God's rule is to live by faith. Faith in God and His rule, trusting that God reigns in spite of present appearances. That God is in control of human affairs. That He directs and intervenes in them to accomplish His purposes. Living by faith and not by sight is hard, isn't it? Looking ahead at 2022 in a Straits Times article at the end of last year, Professor Tomiko expressed fear at the prospect of war between Russia and Ukraine. The very next day, this sentiment was echoed by another commentary in Channel News Asia entitled, There are dark clouds hanging over 2022. Tragically, the fear has been realized and the clouds have precipitated into violent storms. We live in a frightening world, marked by natural disasters, outbreaks of disease, political turmoil, civil unrest and humanitarian crisis. Where is God in all this? Isn't the call to live by faith in a world where God seems absent a tall order? The situation was no better for Daniel and his friends. The first seven verses of Daniel 1 paint a world in which God seemed powerless, if not altogether absent. Verse 1 tells us Jerusalem has been besieged. Where was God? To defend the city of God. Verse 2 says Nebuchadnezzar carried off some temple articles to the temple of his God in Babylon. Where was God? To protect the temple of God. Then we learn in verses 3 and 4 that Nebuchadnezzar also deported members of Judah's royal household and nobility to Babylon, among them Daniel and his friends. Where was God? To preserve the people of God. To the human eye, God seemed powerless, if not altogether absent. Being forcibly plucked out of the comforts of home and deported to an idol-worshipping land was only the beginning of Daniel's woes. He and his friends now faced the threat of having their Jewish identities and faith wiped out as they were systematically assimilated into Babylonian society and culture. Verses 4-7 to show us that the Babylonian acculturation program took place in three ways. First, through education. Verse 4 says they were to learn the language and literature of the Babylonians. A crash course in all things Babylonian. Culture, politics, religion, even the arts of divination the Chaldeans were known for. They were to be immersed in the culture of their enemies. Second, through lifestyle changes. Verse 5 says, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from his table. 
And third, in verses 6 to 7, through a change of names. To give the Judean youths a new identity and allegiance, the chief official gave them names that associated them with Babylonian gods. Daniel, which means God is my judge, was given the name Belteshazzar, probably an address to a Babylonian god to protect the king. Azariah, Yahweh is my help, became Abednego, which may mean servant of Nabu, a Babylonian god. Hananiah, Yahweh is gracious, became Shadrach, possibly a form of the name Maduk, the national god of Babylon. To the human eye, there was little reason for Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to hold on to their Jewishness and their faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel. Behind them, the fact of the exile suggested that God was powerless or absent. Before them, the full opt cultural assimilation enticed them to accept the reality before them and to embrace a new way of living, a way of life that was apart from God's rule. Do you sometimes feel like Daniel and his friends? Everything your senses tell you about the world around you pushes you to the conclusion that God is unreal or absent. And a range of worldly factors, some enticing, others entrapping, pull you to live according to a godless worldview, apart from God and his rule. The call to live by faith in such a world is indeed a tall order. But dear brothers and sisters, today's scripture reveals to us that the reality we apprehend with our senses is not the only reality. There is another reality, the spiritual one, which we cannot perceive with our physical senses. Three times, three times in Daniel chapter 1, the narrator uses the Hebrew verb give to inform us that in spite of all appearances, God is in control. In verse 2, the Lord delivered, literally the Lord gave Jehoiakim and the temple articles into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. It was not Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's might that felt Jerusalem. It was God who gave it over to the enemies. In verse 9, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel is literally God gave Daniel over to favor and compassion before the official. It was not Daniel's good luck that led him to a sympathizer, but God who gave favor. And in verse 17, the success of Daniel and his friends were attributed to neither their noble birth nor their natural ability. But the verse says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding. The threefold God gave is 
for exiles of all ages, for you and me, to show us, to remind us that God may seem absent, but he is in fact present and at work, even if imperceivably, to accomplish his will. God did not abandon his people in the Babylonian exile. He was not only with the faithful in exile, but he was enabling them to remain faithful and even to prosper in impossible situations. That is also true for us today. God has not abandoned Christians who are trying to live in the world, but not of the world. He is not only with believers in today's world, but blesses and enables us to remain faithful and to prosper in impossible situations. To live in light of God's rule, we need to first believe that. To live by faith in God and His rule is to go about our daily life trusting and being confident in who God is and what He has done and is doing to save and redeem mankind. The Christian faith is not blind faith, but faith in a trustworthy God who has revealed himself to us in history and in his word, ultimately in his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. How are we to live in light of God's rule? Live by faith. Living by faith goes hand in hand with the second lesson in today's scripture, which is to live faithfully. Living by faith is not just an internal theoretical exercise. It leads to living faithfully for God. To live faithfully is to be loyal to God and not compromise in our faith. To honor Him above all else in our decisions and actions, our values and priorities, even when it is not convenient or expedient to do so. Verses 8 to 16 in today's text narrate how Daniel and his friends lived faithfully for God. Verse 8 says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Now, how did royal food and wine have a defiling effect on Daniel? The text does not tell us. Some think it had to do with the Old Testament dietary laws concerning ceremonial cleanness. Others point out that in Mesopotamia, royal food was typically first offered to idols. Yet others suggest a political reason rather than a religious one. To eat food from the king's table is to accept his overlordship. Each of these explanations is plausible in some ways, but unsatisfactory in others. While the attention has uh, often been on the implications of accepting royal food, one observation in the text that we tend to overlook is this. Daniel's diet of vegetables and water was private, not public. 
In verses 8 to 16, when the chief official refused to exempt Daniel from the royal food, Daniel turned to the guard. After testing out the diet for 10 days, the guard found the four looking better than those who ate the royal food. So verse 16 tells us the guard sought their choice food and wine for vegetables. Happily, I suspect. What we tend to overlook is this. The entire exchange is between the guard and the four Judean youths. The other young men in the training did not know. The population at large did not know. The Babylonian court did not know. Certainly not the king. Perhaps that is the point. The resolution Daniel made was for private consumption. The purpose of the diet was to keep the four from believing that their physical well-being and intellectual prowess was due to Babylonian beneficence. At the end of the three years, when Nebuchadnezzar interviewed Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and found them ten, ten times better than all the magicians in his kingdom, who got the credit? The king, of course. He would be feeling pretty good about himself, about being the one responsible for feeding their minds and their bodies. But Daniel and his friends knew better. They knew that God was the one who miraculously sustained their physical well-being through a diet of vegetables and water for three years. God was also the one who blessed them with exceptional wisdom. The narrator confirms this for us readers by telling us God's, uh, Daniel's resolve to live faithfully for God was met by God's gift of favor and compassion in verse 9, and by God's gift of knowledge and understanding in verse 17. As readers, you and I are privy to the faith and faithful living of Daniel and his friends, thanks to the narrator. Their faith in God, their confidence that God is king, that he is present and actively ruling, led them to live faithfully for him. While living in the world required them to serve a human king, they knew that their allegiance finally lay with the king of kings. This allegiance guided them to a lifestyle of pleasing God. A lifestyle, I may add, which was neither loud nor showy. Quite the opposite, a private commitment to the Lord, a personal resolve to see God receiving all the praise due Him. Brothers and sisters, what are some ways we can translate our faith in the King to faithful living for the King? In what aspects of our culture is God calling on us to make a stand of faith? Each of us has to answer these questions for ourselves, but may I encourage you, in light of today's text, to start with the personal private sphere that only God sees.
For example, how can Christians respond to changing mores in our society? The recent announcement of the repeal of Section 377A was met by a flurry of statements by Christian bodies, which is helpful and has its place. But what can you and I do on a personal level and on a regular basis? One area I can think of is our family life and relationships. No one would see us, no one would applaud us for working hard on building a healthier marriage or a stronger family. But Christian homes that seek to live out God's love and holiness probably say a lot more to our culture than activism or legislation. A growing Christian home is where faith translates into faithfulness. To live by faith and to live faithfully is not to be so heavenly-minded that we are of no earthly use. On the contrary, a life of faith and faithfulness also entails living wisely. That is the third lesson we learn in today's text. In verses 17 to 20, we keep hearing words that have to do with wisdom. In verse 17, God gave knowledge and understanding to the four youths. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams. In verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding, the king found the four superior to the Babylonians. In fact, the theme of wisdom has been introduced from the beginning, when verse 4 says that the young men chosen for the king's service show aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, and quick to understand. Not only do we find the vocabulary of wisdom being used to describe Daniel, but this chapter also portrays Daniel as one who lived wisely. It is not just that he could interpret dreams and visions, but Daniel's wisdom is also seen in how he navigated life. How he knew the right action or word for the right situation. We see three such examples in Daniel chapter 1. First, in verses 3 to 5, Daniel did not reject being put through Babylonian education. Although the learning objectives would have aimed at inculcating Babylonian ways, mindset, ideology, and values in him. Daniel's knowledge of God was not undermined by Babylonian knowledge nor his wisdom rooted in the fear of Yahweh by Babylonian wisdom. He even graduated top of the class. Why Daniel chose to draw the line in dietary matters, but not in educational curriculum, is not clear to us. Still, we can learn from Daniel's wisdom, his ability to discern what issue was worth fighting for and what wasn't when it came to standing up for his faith. We see this selectivity again in the second example of wise living. In verses 6 and 7, Daniel and his friends did not protest or resist the names given to them. 
Even though, as we have seen, these names aimed at redefining their identities, including their allegiance to Yahweh. The world could do all it wanted to, to squeeze Daniel into its mold. Call him names, literally. But wisdom said labels were nowhere as important as loyalty to God. A third example of Daniel's wise living is how he attained his dietary goal. When the chief official turned down Daniel's request to be exempted from royal food in verse 10, Daniel did not panic or get angry or go on a hunger strike or start a media campaign. Instead, he considered his options and came up with alternatives. The manager didn't budge, let's try the supervisor. Let's be proactive and propose a specific plan with a specific time frame, complete with follow-up action. And while we are at it, let us not forget to try for a win-win situation. Daniel knew how to be wise as serpents. As much as God rules and is in control of everything, the world we live in is imperfect, fallen, broken, and sinful. To live in light of God's rule, we would do well to learn to live wisely. From Daniel's example, living wisely does not mean becoming wishy-washy in moral or spiritual matters. Rather, wise living expresses itself in at least two ways. First, living wisely means discerning what is non-negotiable to our faith and what allows for various degrees of engagement or disengagement. It is choosing which battles to fight where faith is concerned. I hope uh, Christians today are not fighting over diets. Many years ago, a Christian friend of mine, one day when we were eating together, spoke disapprovingly of us eating pork. Um, I cannot remember what we were eating that day. Maybe it was chashu. Uh, but she was citing the Old Testament food laws. Let us keep growing in Christian discernment by becoming lifelong students of God's word and of our Christian tradition. And let us do so in community with other believers who love God and his people. Second, living wisely means there is no one way of doing things. There are no model answers when it comes to Christian living. Should Christian parents homeschool their children to ensure their Christian nurture? Should they opt for Christian schools over secular schools? What entertainment choices, what sorts of readings are appropriate for me? Are there lines of work Christians should avoid? The liberating yet frightening news we draw from Daniel chapter 1 is that there are multiple ways to live in the world but not of the world. God's word charts out for us important principles for faithful living. At the same time, his spirit leads us to make wise choices in particular situations. 
between completely rejecting culture and uncritically embracing it, wisdom calls us to God-fearing engagement, even transformation. God calls. God causes to belong to Him and to live for Him. How do we live in light of God's rule? Daniel chapter 1 teaches us to live by faith, to live faithfully, and to live wisely. Daniel shows us that the challenge before us is not necessarily to make the culture Christian, but to live distinctively Christian lives in a hostile culture. God is present with his people, even in exile, to enable them to remain faithful in him and to prosper. As problems in our world show no sign of letting up, let us take heart that come what may, God's grace is sufficient for us to live by faith, to live faithfully, and to live wisely. Amen.